Thank you, worship team. Um, okay, so it's Valentine's Day. Um, hopefully you got your uh, uh, significant other, uh, spouse, uh, uh, somebody, a, a gift maybe, maybe not. Maybe the decision is, hey, we're not going to give gifts on Valentine's Day. You know why? It's a Hallmark holiday and it's all made up, so we're not going to participate. Hey, that's cool. That's cool. I, um, I don't know if you uh, saw this. I, I found it quite interesting. There was an article about what you can get your ex for uh, Valentine's Day. And uh, I don't know if you heard about this. In North Carolina, they put forth an initiative. If your ex has a warrant out for their arrest, what you could do is turn them in today. How about that, huh? Hey, for, for a gift, I got you a jail sentence. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, okay, clearly, um, uh, from not that standpoint, but... Um, it's a, it's a beautiful day to uh, express and show love, um, and we're going to talk about that this morning. I don't know if um, uh, your house may look like this, but I definitely know of situations, have experienced it in my own life, but... Um, you know, when, when there's a table set, have you ever come home um, and either spouse might have been uh, preparing it, but you come home to a nice set table and, uh, you know, you walk in the door from a day of work and, and, and there it is, that table is set for you and you think, oh, this is so wonderful. And there's the person you love. There's your husband or your wife sitting there waiting for this time and waiting for this moment. And then you sit down, right? And you think, oh, this is wonderful. This is so wonderful. Thank you for making this meal for me. And then they say, hey, I've just been waiting for you all day and I can't wait to be with you. And then you begin to look at uh, the place settings and then you realize, wait a second, is this, oh, this is the china. I haven't seen this for a long time. I wonder how much the china is on eBay right now. I mean, I wonder, you know, this is old. So the price goes up. And so you begin to pull out your phone and you begin to scroll all the while the person is waiting for you, for your attention. And so you begin to do that and you think, oh, Wow, if the plate's that much, I wonder how much the bowl is. And, and so, so we get distracted and we, we begin to, to, to play with our phones. I'm sure nobody in here I'm talking to, uh, uh, but uh, the, the phone becomes a distraction. And, and then finally you, you realize that they're waiting for you and, and they want to talk to you. So you put the phone down and you begin the conversation again. And, and then they... They say, hey, I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for this time to be with you. In fact, I've cleaned in those buzzwords. Have you ever had that where the buzzword in your mind sets you off on a course that is not in the conversation? And you think, oh, clean. That, she said cleaned. Oh, sorry, I know you wanted me to do this. So we run off and we begin to do some work and we go in the back and we say, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I know you wanted me to do some cleaning here. I'm going to clean and do this. And then uh, we take a while, not that quick, 
the, the dishes are still dirty. But, but we, again, get, get distracted and, and, and we run away thinking that what is most important is to do something in that moment when the person is sitting waiting for us. And so we sit down once again after a little while. Now the distractions are gone. The work is done or it's paused. And then we sit there and we begin a conversation. This may be a little awkward because we're not used to it. And so we begin talking and then all of a sudden our mind wanders again. And we think, wow, this is amazing. I'm looking at this setup. Wow, this is really nice. You know who would not believe that, that you did this for me? My friend, I'm gonna call him and, and I gotta tell him about this because this is extraordinary, amazing. And we pick up our phone once again and we begin to have a conversation. Hey, you would not believe what they've done for me. It's amazing. It's, it's wonderful. And yeah, yeah, it's so cool. Oh, let me tell you about what they did. And, and we walk away. All the while, the one who prepared a place for us is waiting. And they're sitting and waiting and waiting. Oh, I took the wrong stand. <laughs> Those aren't my notes. <laughs> All right, we got the right one now. But there's this preparing a place for you and I. And I want to take a look at that, not only in our interpersonal relationships, but our relationship with God. I've been uh, watching people online. So we have this image of preparing a place, not this one, but the, the title image. And uh, I don't know if it's just me, but every time I look on my Facebook, somebody's in Florida or someplace warm. Uh, so I thought we could use this image to help us picture a much warmer place than where we actually are. But think about that for a moment, that God has a specific prepared place for you and I today. There's a table that God has set for each and every one of us, and it's right here. It's right where you're seated. It was during worship. It's going to continue on during this time and throughout the day that God has prepared a place to meet with you. He longs for a close personal connection with each and every one of us today. There's a passage in scripture that we read in Revelation 3.20. It says this, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will share a meal together as friends. This is God's heart and God's desire for you and I, that he's standing at the door knocking. Now I know that sometimes we look at this passage and I know it's been used for salvation, but that's not what this passage is talking about. When we read in Revelation 3, he's talking to the church and he's saying, church, I'm standing outside the door, knocking, hoping that you would let me in. I'm knocking. Will you come and answer the door? If we read about this church in Laodicea, we could go back a few verses and we could look at it. And this is what it says. I know in verse 15, all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. 
I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold for me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments for me so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. There's a couple of phrases in there that we hear from time to time uh, where God says, I, I wish you would uh, either, or either be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. And to understand the context of what uh, Jesus is talking about as he shares with John this vision, um, the Laodiceans could understand this analogy. He's not talking about following him and not following him in the hot or cold. I know that there's various uh, uh, commentaries on this, but this seems to be the one where they could understand that the water would be hot for bathing in, that, that water would be good and it would be good for purifying when it's hot. And when it's cold, it's refreshing. It's a, it's a drink. But lukewarm, Laodiceans would get this lukewarm water from the aqueduct from a spring about six miles south of where they would be. And as it would travel, it would become lukewarm and it just had this bad taste. It was useless. It wasn't effective. And what we see in this passage of scripture, Jesus is speaking to the church and he's saying, you are ineffective. You say you are these things and on the outside, you think that's what you are, but what you need is you need me. You've cast me out. You said you have it all together. But I want to tell you, I'm standing at the door knocking and I want a relationship with you. Come, open the door. This knocking obviously is this. He wants to come in, but he's not forcing his way in, right? We get that in what is being said here in Revelation 3. If anyone opens the door, he's not forcing his way in, but he's calling out to us, church. Would you open the door? And he would come in. And what's interesting about that is it's your place. But as we read it, he says that I will eat with you and you with me. And what ends up happening is we invite the Lord in for this time. And we're the host. But then in, in, this, in these verses, it changes where Jesus becomes the host and he begins to give. And of course, we know that he's generous and we sang it. He's good. And the Lord is pleading. And, and I think what we're looking for in our lives, because God wired us this way, is, is a word that we probably use in, in more of the marriage relational term, intimacy. This closeness is what we're going to look at this morning. And maybe we could define this intimacy as to know and be known. Intimacy is to know and be known.
Erwin McManus said this, he said, our souls crave intimacy. And to know and be known, I want to tell you that you are known today by God. You understand that, right? That each and every one of you are known full well by God. We looked at this passage of scripture a couple weeks back, Psalm 139, 14. Uh, through 16, it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so God knows this so intimately that he knows each and every moment of every day. He knows you so well. We read in Luke 12, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, all right, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. The very hairs of your head are numbered. I think, what a useless thing. When was the last time you counted your hairs? Has anybody done that? But to think about it for a moment, that something that we would deem so insignificant, God knows fully well. And he knows so much more than the hairs on our head. He knows each and every day. Intimacy with God is the purpose of our life. It's why we, we were created, not simply to believe in him, though that's a good beginning, not only to obey him, and that's still the higher life, not just to believe, but obey. But God created us for intimate fellowship with himself. To know him, to love him, and to live our lives in an intimate relationship with him. That's the goal. He designed you, created you, and knows all about you. And he invites us to the table to meet with us. But I want to tell you today that our relationship with God is not that he simply knows us more. I, I wonder if we maybe have a misconception in our minds or at least live that out where in our prayer time we are telling God more about us. God, did you know this is happening? God, can I just share with you the things that are going on? Now, now don't mistake what I'm saying, because I believe that's an important part, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But oftentimes what we're looking at is, God, let me tell you about me. When you are known by him, and when we talk about intimacy, it's not only to be known, but to know. And so I want to just talk about a couple of things to avoid when we talk about intimacy and what intimacy is not. It's not just knowledge. When we think about knowing things, the Bible talks about that from a, a, a biblical standpoint. Often the word uh, know is used in, in different ways. One of them is a relationship between a husband and a wife where they knew each other or they know each other and that physical contact that they have with one another. But there's also other uh, ways that it's used. And, and one of them is in the Greek, it's oida. 
And oida is this. It's uh, nothing to do with relationship, but a knowledge about something through observation. That we are looking at things through uh, observation. That we know things by, by what we see. I see Pastor Dave's wearing a turtleneck and it's blue. So, so I have some things uh, that I know about him. However, that's not necessarily intimacy. We know a lot of things about a lot of people, right? We live in the Google age. Do you know Googling? Uh, we were doing this at home. Uh, there was a, a kid project and it says, is Googling a word? Sure enough, it's a word. Googling, it means to look up things on Google. <laughs> True. So, so there's this idea, we live in this information age and we can learn a lot. But that doesn't necessarily equal intimacy. You know, as we go to church, as we read God's word, as we talk with people, we can amass a lot of knowledge. But that doesn't equate to intimacy with God necessarily. No, those things are good and those things help us to grow intimate with him as we discover his character, as we read about what he did with Israel and how he walked with them and how he forgives and how he loves and how he pours out unconditionally. So those things help us and grow our relationship, but they don't necessarily just having that knowledge equals intimacy. And so to be careful not to avoid that. Again, it's, it's coming to church is great. Singing a song is great. And we could say, wow, that was good verses. But we could walk out of here not taking a moment, intimately getting to know God more. It was merely observation and head knowledge. The other word in, in the Greek is gnosko, and that is to know through experience or relationship. And oftentimes as we read in the New Testament, Paul talks about this type of knowing. He says this in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. By the way, this is a wonderful prayer. Um, write it down. Read it. That you may be rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, that is the breadth and the height, or length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Meaning it's, it's, it's not just up here, but that we would truly experience the love of Christ. To know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So intimacy is more than knowledge. It's also more than doing. Right? So we think about that, uh, doing, um, I don't know, I I'm a doer. I love doing things. And I love doing things around the house. I love, love to try to do all that I can. But I want to tell you today that doing doesn't equal intimacy either. Your spouse asks you to do something and says, honey, could you? 
You say, no. <laughs> no, just kidding. You say, of course, I would love to. And so you do that, and it's like, okay, we're intimate now. But doing doesn't equate intimacy. In fact, doing can sometimes keep us from intimacy. We read about that in the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. And Jesus said to the disciples, um, continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted, and, and that's the word right there. Even in your Bible, you could put that. Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, didn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. But he said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all the details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. See, what happened here in this story is Mary is, or Martha is so consumed with the there and, and then. She was so concerned with, with the preparation and stuff like that. She's so concerned that she missed Jesus waiting to meet with her. She got so busy in the doing part. And oh, this is good. And, and not that doing's wrong, but when it supersedes our relationship. I wonder if you've ever experienced it in your devotional life. You know, when you've tried to go through the, the Bible in a year, and as you're going through it, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm going to get her done. I'm going to get it done. And, and if I have to, I'm going to listen to it while I drive and, and stuff like that. And, and we begin to absorb the word and take the word of God in. And, and we're just plowing through it like, I, I got to make sure I don't fall behind. I got five chapters today. And, and so we read and we read and we read and we're like, okay, cool. I get to check the box now. And then we're like, okay. Oh, yeah, check the box, check the box. I did it today. And some of that doing misses out on what these verses speak of. They speak of a relationship with God. Don't miss that point. We can even go a little deeper in Matthew 7. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, on that day, many will say, Lord, did we not do? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? We did these things, these good things. That sounds like some good things, doesn't it? Sounds good to me, casting out demons? Boy, that's a good day. And many mighty works in your name, that sounds good. But we know what Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
You had the work thing down, but you missed me. Can I tell you today that Jesus is the prize? Jesus is the goal. What makes heaven so amazing is not just that there's streets of gold. And not just that there's these walls that are like 200 yards thick. And not that it's uh, this complex city that the Bible talks about in Revelation. But what makes heaven so great is Jesus himself. And I want to tell you this, that he says, depart from me because I never knew you. Because there is a time and Jesus is calling and he's wooing each and every one of us to this personal relationship with him. But there's a time as he's saying, come sit at the table, that if we do not come and reject him, there's going to come a time where he says, you know what? You didn't want me. I don't know you, and so he's going to cast us away. The Bible gives us different pictures of what hell is like apart from God, but I want to suggest that there is torment, and there, there are these other things, but what to me is the most significant is if heaven is all about the presence of God and us being there face to face, the biggest thing about hell to me is the absence of God's presence that we're going to be away from him for eternity. That we're separated from him. And so he invites us to the table. Intimacy is more. I put this down than, than taking up space. Have you ever tried to create space? Have you ever tried to create the perfect moment? Okay, if I do... A, B, and C, and D, and E, and F, then you know what? G's gonna follow. Right? And and you think, oh, if, if we could just if we could just do 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 church really well, or if we could just somehow ooh, excite ourselves or get things going, then intimacy is gonna happen. They can help those times when we worship, but if we're unengaged, it's no good. And so God invites us to this place that he's prepared for us. So how do we grow in intimacy? We're gonna just take a look at that just for a few more minutes and then the worship team will come back in just a moment. But I want to tell you, true intimacy with God starts with an understanding that it's him and no other. Right? True intimacy comes when it's, when it's just you and that other person in our relationships. As husband and wife, that's where true intimacy is. But in our relationship with God too, there is no other. And, and the intimacy comes, I think of Pastor Dave's uh, um, video that he had just a couple weeks ago. Remember that one? As the couple's sitting down and then the other guy all of a sudden appears. And then there's another guy and another guy. And it's like, oh, you know, how can there be intimacy there? 
And so we recognize that intimacy comes when we recognize that it's God and no other, that there's no other contenders. Look at what John 17, 3 tells us. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Jesus is praying this prayer. He says, this is the eternal life, Father, that, that they would know you and that they would know me. We read in John 10, 10. God says, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, this abundant life. This abundant life is talking about Jesus. Jesus himself is the abundant life. There is no other, and nothing can compare. So we recognize that it's Jesus and no other, and we grow in intimacy by spending time with him just like those people in our life that we want to grow closer to. It's pretty obvious, but sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we're distracted and sometimes we're working hard, but we're missing those opportunities to spend time with Jesus. How often you wake up and say, okay, it's me and Jesus, and then all of a sudden your day just flies flies by, you get to the end of the day and you're like, where did it go? Spending time together, but really where intimacy gets real. I love this definition for intimacy. It is into me, see. Into me, see. And really what that means is being vulnerable. Really where where intimacy comes in is, is when we're at the place of vulnerability, being willing to be honest and open before the Lord. Those areas of our life that maybe we want to keep hidden or maybe we want to hold on to. True intimacy comes when we're willing to, to let go of those things, but also to invite him into those places. Not putting on that shell of a front where it smiles all the time. We know in the Psalms, David writes over and over about difficulty and trial and struggle and challenge. And he's vulnerable before the Lord. God, this hurts. This is difficult. I'm having a hard time understanding why you're allowing this to happen. Why you're allowing these people to get away with bad things. He's very open and vulnerable before the Lord. The depth of your relationship with God is limited to the extent of your transparency with him. How deep do you want to go with him today? God is not asking in our prayer time for a formula. He doesn't want you to pretend to be something you're not. He doesn't want you to be religious, but he wants that relationship with you. And so we spend time with him. We open ourselves up, but then we listen too. I heard uh, one person say that oftentimes prayer is a monologue. Again, where we're just talking to him. But you know, God wants to speak to us. 
He's a personal God, and he speaks to us. We know, we've talked about this. We keep telling people, this is how God speaks to us in part. Right? God speaks to us through his word. John 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow. It's because we're listening to his voice, and we're following him. We can be known. And so he speaks to us through his word, but we also read that God speaks to us through his spirit. And I want to take just a couple of moments just to talk about that really quick. And then, um, and then we'll head in for the close. Uh, here at Lighthouse, um, we are a, a spirit-filled church. We believe that God uh, fills believers. He baptizes believers in the spirit. And so God wants to speak to us today. And as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 14, we recognize that God gives gifts to the church. He gives us different gifts. Sometimes he gives gifts of wisdom, special knowledge. Sometimes uh, there's a prophetic word. Sometimes there's an unknown tongue. First uh, Corinthians 12.10 refers to it as speaking in tongues and an interpretation. But I want to tell you today, when we talk about the table, and we talk about God wanting to, to connect with us, this is a part of it. I believe that God wants to speak to his church. I believe that there's opportunities we have on, on times like this where God is, is going to give a word and that word's going to come. And we're going to listen to it and uh, lean into what God has to say. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Other translations say it's to edify the body. But I know that there have been words spoken here where people have come in and God's given a word and the word has gone out and people were like, ah, oh, that's what I needed to hear today. That word was for me. And then somebody else comes and says, you know what? That word was for me. This is the intimate, personal God speaking to us. And we want to hear the word. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21 says, don't quench the spirit. It says, don't treat prophecy with contempt, contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. In other words, we need to listen. Part of that uh, intimacy with God is listening to what he has to say. And there are times on a Sunday morning, I believe that God wants to speak to us. Now, I want to tell you this, that as we read through and our elders and pastors have walked through this and we've walked through the scriptures of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and 13, 13, the love chapter, what a great chapter for today. But it talks about the use of spiritual gifts uh, as we come together. And one of the things that really is a, is a burden of mine is to know that God says, I'm going to give you a word, but the word needs to be heard. Clearly, And so here's what I want to encourage us as a church, is to, to not despise prophecy, and that we would not quench the spirit. And maybe God gives you a word. I believe that God wants to do more of that. He's, he's given us those gifts, 
And if God has given you a word, uh, what I want to encourage you to do is find a pastor, find an elder. Talk with them and say, I believe that God has something for the church today. And what we want to do is we want to create that space on a Sunday morning. If God gives somebody a word, we want to take time and pause and say, church, we want to hear from the Lord today. And have opportunity to hear that word. Because we're not only just to allow the word, but we're to test it as well. Scripture talks about that. And then we're to hold on to what is good. I know that God wants to continue to do more in our presence. In his presence. And so allowing him to speak. Listening to what he has to say. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. So we listen. We open ourselves up in being vulnerable. And we be patient. You know, intimacy isn't built in a day. As you grow in trust in Christ and believe what he says in his word and hear his voice, intimacy in your life in his will grow. But I want to tell you this. Intimacy can only occur in an environment where no performance is necessary. So this aspect of intimacy coming. I think about scripture where it talks about Jesus preparing another place that he would meet with his disciples in Luke chapter 22. And it's an invitation not just for the disciples, but it's an invitation for each and every one of us to come as we transition into this time of communion God is inviting us to spend time with him. It says this in Luke chapter 22, 7 through 13. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived. When the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare a Passover meal so we can eat together. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. He replied, as soon as you enter into Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him, and at that house he enters. Say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare the meal. Verse 13, they went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus has said, and they prepared a Passover meal there. God prepared that place specifically to meet with his disciples, to share with them about what was going to take place and tell them about how he would give his life for them. But he also instituted communion to remind them of that sacrifice and for us today that we remember the sacrifice of what God has done for us so we could have that relationship, so we could sit at the table, even though we don't deserve a spot here. You and I don't deserve to be here, but he invites each and every one of us to come because of his blood that was shed on the cross for you and I, that he provided a way for us. So as we take a moment just to close out today, the worship team's gonna sing a song. 
And as they do, that we could just reflect on the goodness of God and, and what he's done for us, this place that he's prepared, this table that he's set, that we can reflect on what Jesus has provided for us.